Amen. Excellent. Whoa, yeah. Woo! Excellent songs this morning. Power of the cross. Man, we have a wonderful Jesus that we get to serve, and he died for our sins. If you don't know that today, and I encourage you, come talk to me. We'll talk about Jesus all day long and uh, what he's done for us. If you would, please take your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And while you're turning there to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to take a moment and I want you to put your imagination cap on. For many of you, that's going to be difficult at such an early hour. Oh, you guys got to lighten up already. It's okay. It's just church. It's not that serious. Okay? Let's have some fun this morning. Laugh a little bit. Smile. Everybody give me your biggest, cheesiest grin you can come up with. Go ahead, right now. Some of these are terrible. Wow. You, again, we say this all the time, but you guys should come up here and see what we see. You see people literally doing this number, like nodding. Some of you see that because you're sitting behind them, right? It's pretty funny. Um, but I can't laugh up here and point them out because that's just rude. Maybe someday, maybe someday. I want you to take a, uh, a moment with me and just imagine what a perfect church looks like. Okay, everybody stop just a second. Imagine what does the perfect church look like? What is a perfect church? Imagine the people. Imagine the decorations. Imagine the color scheme for you ladies. They're the only ones who care about that stuff. Imagine the music. Imagine the layout, imagine the order of service, imagine the preaching, imagine the fellowship, imagine what the perfect church looks like. Got it in your mind? Got it pictured in your mind what the perfect church looks like to you? Okay, now let me snap you out of your imagination, okay? What did you think of? What did you think of? If you imagined Bible Baptist Church, you're sadly mistaken, Sadly mistaken. Because Bible Baptist Church is not the perfect church. I wish it was, but it's not. If you imagine the church that you grew up in, again, <laughs> you are sadly mistaken. You say, you don't know my church. I happen to know a little bit about people. It's not a perfect church. If you imagine a futuristic church where the problems of this current church are gone, Again, you would be sadly mistaken because there is no perfect church. If you imagine the church in the book of Acts, man, the power of God moving, seeing thousands of people saved, guess what? You would again be sadly mistaken. The church in the book of Acts was not a perfect church. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I would also be willing to go out on a limb and proclaim that most of you did not imagine the exact same church, did you? I bet you if you were to converse with just the people around you and say, these are the things that I imagine about a perfect church, you guys would be different in some areas. You'd be similar in a lot, but you'd be different in some, meaning we all have a different definition of what church should be and what it should look like. That's because I asked you to imagine 
what you would place on the perfect church. So if we all have different ideas of what church should be and what church should look like, then what is correct? How do we know who's right? When all of you are thinking right now, well, I'm right, right? The reality is there is no perfect church because church is made up of people. In fact, that's what church is. Church is the people. We come to the, quote, church building, but this building is not the church. The church is the people who sit in this building. The church is the people who gather. The church is us. And so imperfect people come and gather themselves and call themselves Bible Baptist Church. Yes, you are all imperfect. Imperfect people cannot be the perfect church. So how do we imagine the perfect church? How do we imagine what church can be? Well, the only way that we know that we, what we are doing is the right thing, the only way that we know for sure that we are on the right path is when a church follows the Bible. That's the key. So if you want to imagine a church really truthfully, you can't imagine a perfect church, but how do we know? Do we just go based on what pastor says? I would very much advise against that, okay? In fact, I'll, I, I don't make this statement very often, but I want to make it again today. If anything I say, hear this, or anybody that preaches from this platform, if they say anything that goes against the word of God, throw it away. Don't use it. That's including me. Because the word of God is the place in which we draw all of our practice from and all of our truth from. The question is this, will we mess up? Yes, yes is the correct answer to that. You guys really got to loosen up this morning. You all tired? You all burn out or what? It's okay. But the Bible will put us back on the right path. So are we going to mess up? Yes. Are we a perfect church? No. Are we going to mess up? Yes, it's going to happen, but what must we do? We must get back to the Word of God and understand what is it that we're supposed to accomplish in church? What is it that we're supposed to be as a church? So we cannot depend on any one person's intellect. We must depend on the teaching of the Word of God. Let's be clear. We don't get to add to the Word of God either. There are places where we often will add to the Word of God and say, this is doctrine. No, it's not. It's not in the Bible. It could be good for a time and for a place, but it doesn't make it doctrine. Also, we must never take away from God's Word. Never add to it nor take it away. The Bible is our authority. The Bible is what we look to. The Bible is what we must go to. I want you to consider these verses. You can see them in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 14. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says this, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So he's saying, everything that I've written beforehand, I'm writing because I want to come to you. I want to show you this, but he says this, but if I tarry long, if I just can't make it when I want to get there. He says, I write these things that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. Father, what a great privilege it is to be here. Father, I want to thank you for each and every person that woke up this morning and decided to come to Bible Baptist. I pray that this lesson would be a challenge to shape us, all of us, into becoming the servants that you've called us to be. Father, as we look at your word, may it be open to us, may it be clearly seen, may your Holy Spirit work in this place like it has so many times before, and I pray that your spirit would do the work here today. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing these two verses, getting us to realize that this is how we ought to behave ourselves in the church, the house of God. The, the pillar and ground of the truth. We've, we've hit that over and over and over and over again. So again, the truth is not in my intellect. I consider myself a brilliant person. But it's, the truth is not there. The truth is in the word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so it is the word of God that we must come to. And Paul is saying, listen, I want to show you some things that this is how you ought to act. This is how you ought to be in the church. Things in this world will constantly change. How many of you have noticed that over the last decade or so? Okay, good. Things change. A virus starts in China and all of a sudden we have a different world just like that. Governments change. Listen, your body changes. Just in case you're wondering. Things in the world will constantly change. They will continue to shift. They will continue to fade. It will go back and forth. But hear me, the word of God endures forever. So we must hold to it firmly. It is the manual that God has left us on this earth to live godly in this present world. I heard this quote several weeks ago and I thought it was awesome. The reality is most of us come to the Bible and we look at it and we think, how do I live in today? Like, is it, it's the manual for life. It's the manual for how I live wrong. Think about it differently. It's the manual for how to live godly in this life. You see, the reality is we can go with the culture, we can do what everybody else is doing, but the reality is we must come to the Word of God so that we know how to live godly in this present day. We've been studying deacons over the last couple of weeks, and no doubt all of us have our ideas of what a deacon ought to be. We would think, well, they need to be gifted. They need to be skilled. They should be knowledgeable. They should be, you fill in the blank of what you think that they should be. But here's the question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say that they should be? The interesting thing about the two verses that we've read here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul starts out with the office of a bishop. 
And then in verse 8, he starts out with the office of a deacon. And then right as soon as he's done with that, he says, listen, I write these things to you so that you know how you ought to behave yourself in the church of God. It is no coincidence that Paul places this right under these two offices. And so today we're going to take some time. And we're going to walk through the office of a deacon. You say, Pastor Yeomans, I'm sick of hearing about deacons. I want to move on. Listen, this is an extremely important part of our church, and we need to get this right. Let's take some time. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look with me in verse 8. The Bible says this, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice a very key thing. Okay, if you were looking at the Bible, I want you to notice the lack of interest in what the potential deacons are able to do. I want you to notice the lack of interest in what the potential deacons are able to do. Notice this passage on deacons is focused pointedly on what the deacons must be. It's not about what they can do. It's about what they must be, which is far different than how we would look. If I'm hiring someone today and I'm in a business, what do I look at? Most of what I look at is is can they do the job? Can they accomplish it? Do they have the skill set in order to accomplish the job? Listen, the Bible doesn't do things necessarily that way. The Bible cares more about your character than it does about your skill set. Let me say that one more time. The Bible, God, cares more about your character than he does your skill set. So what's your character like? It is vitally important that we put people of character in place as deacons instead of people who are simply gifted. So let's take some time and quickly, we'll do our best to move through these quickly, break down the qualifications that that make These men qualified deacons. When we're done with that, we'll try to make some application. Number one, the deacons must be grave. Grave. Now, when when you guys hear the word grave, again, lighten up, okay? When you hear the word grave, what do you think of? Like, virtually dead, right? Okay, how many many have ever seen somebody at church that looks virtually dead? Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, perfect, that's the deacon, right? No, that's not what grave means, okay? Grave from Strong's Dictionary means honorable or honest. Honorable or honest. This one, okay, just simply this grave, this will permeate the entire list. This will walk through every one of them, every one of these ties back to gravity, okay, being grave. It was one of the qualifications mentioned in Acts chapter 6. They must be men of good report. 
honest report, okay? So they must be honorable and honest. By the way, this doesn't mean perfect. You see, people who are not deacons, what do they like to do? That deacon over there and that person over there and that, that, and the judgmental. Listen, this does not mean perfect. Oh, it would be great if we were all perfect, but as already stated, there are no perfect people except for Jesus Christ. So it simply shows that these men are serious about their position as deacon. And they are honest and honorable. Honest and honorable. Would that be said of you? You are honest and honorable. Good question to ask yourself whether you think you're a deacon or not. Number two, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Again, you think of a serpent, right? They got those two sides of their tongue. Strong's uh, defines double-tongued as this, telling a different story. Telling a different story. Has anybody ever known anybody at church that's double-tongued? Come on now. Yeah, all of us. Saying one thing to someone and another to someone else. Obviously, not a good thing at all, ever, for anyone, but specifically a deacon. It shows something not just about their tongue, it shows something about their character. Okay, Think about this. A double-tongued person reveals their fear of man. A double-tongued person reveals their fear of man. Why? Because I want to tell you what you want to hear. And then I'm going to come over here and I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. And I don't care what I just told them. Again, we would throw that into the realm of politicians, wouldn't we? Okay, because I'm going to tell you one thing just to get you to vote for me. And then I'm going to come over here and tell these guys another thing so that they'll vote for me. And so on and so forth. Not double-tongued. A deacon should not have a fear of man, but hear me, should have the fear of God. And so where are we going to get our singular tongue? It ought to be from the word of God. Number three, not given to much wine. Not given to much wine. I love this word given. And you'll see this actually multiple times here in this passage. Given from Strong's means to pay attention to, to apply oneself to, to adhere to. Like, again, let me say that again. Given, pay attention to, apply oneself to, adhere to. Well, I just need a glass of wine to unwind. I just need a drink to decompress after working and serving all of those ungrateful people. Listen, that is given to wine. That's given to wine because my mind is adhered to it. All I can think about is getting home to have my glass of wine or to have my one drink to pay attention to. I just have some on the weekends. It's not that big of a deal. Again, this is given to, to wine. We are drawn to it with our minds. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4, you can see this. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Listen, this is, there is much debate on the topic of drinking alcohol in our society. And Christians all over the world are drinking alcohol. But the Bible is pretty clear that these men, specifically deacons, should not be given to much wine. Should not be thinking about, should not be going toward, should not be walking toward 
wine. He should have self-control. Self-control. Listen, do we need something in order to control us? Do we need something in order to allow God to move through us? No, we need the Holy Spirit of God to do that. Listen, I can give you all kinds of different things on this, but I want to focus specifically on this. One of the qualifications for a deacon is not given to much wine. And we can excuse this away as much as we want. We can spend all kinds of time here, but we are not given to it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not looking for it. I'm not adhering to it. He should have self-control not only in his tongue, he should have self-control in his belly. And thirdly, he should have self-control in his desires. Number four, not greedy of filthy lucre. Here's his desires. Where are his desires? Does he have self-control in his tongue? Does he have self-control in his belly? Does he have self-control in his desires? Lucre, from Strong's Dictionary, again, means gain. Gain, so filthy gain. Let me ask this question. Is the deacon someone who makes an honest living? An honest living. Probably should not have a deacon who is selling drugs, okay? That's illegal, okay? You shouldn't be doing that. Does the deacon try to make gain dishonestly? Is, is he honest in his business practices? Is he trying to cut people off at the knees in order to gain something in his business or in his life? Does the deacon make gain in shameful ways? Again, this shows a deacon's pursuit, his desire. Does the deacon care more about helping people or helping himself? Just think about this from a practical level. Somebody doesn't make honest gain, is dishonest in his business dealings, and you're going to send them to an older widow lady's house. And she's going to say, hey, would you run out to the store and grab me some dog food or some milk or something, and here's my debit card. How do you think that's going to go over? Ah, maybe the first time it goes over real well. Second, third time. At some point, if he's a dishonest person, he's going to take and steal something. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Number five, holding the mystery of faith in pure conscience. Holding the mystery of faith in pure conscience. Just so we're all clear. We are on verse nine right here. Holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. So instead of being given to wine and greedy of filthy lucre, his passions and his desires should be the mystery of faith. The mystery of faith. We have spent a great deal of time studying the mystery on Wednesday nights in our Romans Bible study that we did, that we've been doing up until the summer started. But long study, I realize, but let's suffice it to say this. The truth of the New Testament in the blood of Jesus Christ now revealed to all mankind. That's what the mystery is. The truth of Jesus Christ in the blood of him who came to this earth to die on the cross who is now revealed to all mankind. So look at this verse again, verse 9. Holding. Holding. Same word is given. 
Same word is given. Holding is the same word is given. So all I can think about is getting to the weekend so that I can have my glass of wine. Or um, all I can think about is getting to tonight so I can have my drink. Listen, that's the same word here as holding. What does he do? He holds the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. All he can think about is Jesus Christ. All he can think about is the weekend in which he gets to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I can't wait to get home and talk to my neighbor about Jesus Christ. I can't wait because all I can think about is I'm going to hold to this. I'm going to cling on to it. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to be given to it. I'm going to be adhered to it. I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to put my mind on it. Wait a second. I thought deacons were just supposed to be servants. You never said anything about them being evangelists as well. Listen, why does a deacon need to be a theologian as well as a servant? Because they must hold to the truth of the Word of God. A servant must hold to the truth of the Word of God. Why? They must be given to it. Because if deacons do not hold to the truth, he will be tempted by every cultural trend that comes and goes every one of them every cultural trend that comes and goes he will be there Uh, the bible puts it this way he'll be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine listen solid on the word of god he must hold the mystery of the faith in pure conscience The deacon ought not to be drawn more to the culture or to his own desires than to the desires of God for his people. Number six, proved and found blameless. Proved and found blameless. Look at verse 10. And let these also first be proved and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. There's a time for proving. Again, the Bible doesn't give us a set amount of time. Oh, that's a week, or that's a year, or that's 10 years. It doesn't give us that set amount of time. But he must be proved. They are not just dropped into the office of deacon. Hey, good luck. Have a great time. They are to have a time in which they are tested and examined to see if they are qualified for the office of the deacon. This one's extremely important. And if this is overlooked, what happens is we end up putting somebody in the office of a deacon who's not ready. In fact, that may end up hurting the church more than it helps the church. So we must be proved and found blameless. Number seven, we're going to talk about the deacon's family. From the deacon's family, notice verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Now I'm going to be very popular today because I'm saying everything against culture. But here we go. These two verses, this is where I believe that the Bible teaches that those that hold the office of the deacon are to be men. Uh Uh-oh. Got real quiet. The air even stopped. Those that hold the office of a deacon ought to be men. Notice verse 10. Um, Excuse me, verse 11. Even so must their wives. 
Okay, verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. I know everybody's starting to ask the questions. Does that mean women cannot be servants? Absolutely not. Women can absolutely be servants, and we have a great deal of women servants in our church. Does that mean that women are less honorable than men? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible tells us that women are to be held in honor. That's in the Bible. We can dig an eternal hole getting into, does this mean? We can spend all kinds of time here. The fact is the Bible makes it pretty clear here in these two verses that the office of the deacon is to be held by men. Verse 11, I find this interesting. There's qualifications given to the wives. Wives must be grave. Again, not the picture that you're thinking of. They just must be honest and honorable. They must be honest and honorable. What else? They shouldn't be slanderers, basically gossipers. Okay, I, I, I said this last week, I'll say it again. Gossip is unbiblical. Okay, so, and I, I'm not going to say anything here as to why he puts this under the women. You can make up your own ideas and thoughts about that, but not slanderers. He says this, sober, sober, which means self-controlled, self-controlled. And then he says this, faithful in all things. The deacon's wives must be faithful in all things. Again, this does not mean that she has to be faithfully at everything. Well, that's a deacon's wife. She's supposed to be at everything the church. Uh, no, 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 that's not what it says. The Bible says that she must be faithful in all things. Everything that she is involved in, she is trustworthy. Faithful doesn't mean that she, she's at everything, by the way. When we say, oh, that person's just faithful, they're at church every week, it just means that they're trustworthy. They're trustworthy. In, in fact, we read Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, right? In Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 11, this is talking about a virtuous woman. It says, the heart of her husband doth what? Safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil." Look, a virtuous woman is a trustworthy woman. A virtuous woman is a trustworthy woman. Everything she's involved in, she is trustworthy. A deacon must be the husband of one wife. By the way, the Bible does not say that's one woman at a time. Eh, I'm done with her for now. Let's move on to this one. That's not what the Bible says. The husband of one wife. This is one wife for life. One wife for life. He must learn to serve his wife well. Let me say that one more time. Guys, pay attention now. Wake up, everybody. He must learn to serve his wife well. You say, why? If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Serving one's spouse is the ultimate training ground for serving the body of Christ. Well, that stinks, doesn't it? 
I'm just going to be, I'll be flat out honest with you this morning. I feel like I'm really good at serving you. But if there's one person that takes the heat and that I don't serve well, it's this lady right on the front row. Sad to me. And don't worry, she's called it out a few times. But I want you to understand, your family is first. Your family is most important. If you can learn to serve your spouse well, you are a prime candidate for serving the body of Christ. Listen, if, if you will not, if you do not, if you throw away your family and say, listen, I don't care about them, listen, at some point you're going to do the same thing to the body of Christ. The husband of one wife. And then they must rule their house well. Most people think that the home must be under the thumb in this verse. Uh, I'm the ruler. That the deacon must rule his house with an iron fist. Let me ask you a question. How does Jesus lead his church? With an iron fist? Anybody want that iron fist? Oh, we sing, we sing praises about the mercy of God. We sing praises about the love of God and how wonderful he is. Listen, how does God lead his church? Let me show you Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. The Bible says this, husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ loved the church and did what? And gave himself for it. So let me ask you, do you serve your family? Do you serve your family? Or do you just write your family off and say, listen, this is, I, I'm so thankful for you guys and thanks for making me dinner, love, but I'm just going to sit on the couch right now and I, don't talk to me for the rest of the evening. Or do you say, hey kids, come here. How was school today? What did your friends talk about today at school? What are you struggling with? What are you going through? The list goes on and on. Let me ask you, do you serve your family? Deacons must be in leadership of their home. Children should not be running the home. The deacon should be present at home, serving his home, and teaching them to serve others as well. Number eight, the promise. Promise. It's been a long time since I've had an eight-point sermon. The promise. Verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, watch this, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want to look at that word purchase. We all purchase things, right? The thing I hate purchasing most lately is gas. It just, like, the numbers just keep going up and up. And I, I, I just can't stand it. But listen, when I put my card in, I purchase and I then receive something. Okay, so if someone holds the office of a deacon well, what do they do? They purchase, they are going to receive, they put the work in, and they're going to receive something out of it. What do they receive? Look, verse 13. They receive to themselves a good degree. Anybody want a good degree? 
Yes, I would love a bachelor's, please. Or a master's. No, that's not the degree that he's talking about. Degree, again, from Strong's Dictionary means a step of dignity. A step of dignity. So what you've just done is you've just gained some respect. Everybody wants respect. So, okay, so I'm only going to do this office of a deacon so I can just finally get some respect. People can start to see what I'm doing around here, right? No. Wrong idea. A person who uses the office of the deacon will gain two things, respect and boldness. Don't miss this. Okay? Respect and boldness. And the majority of our culture wants to look down on a servant with disdain, thinking a servant to be unappealing and unalluring. The followers of Jesus Christ look at servanthood much differently. Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, you see it on the screen here. The Bible says this, And whosoever will be chief among you, what does it say? Let him be your servant. If you want to be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto again, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me ask you a question. Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. What did he do? He served. This passage, you know what it's talking about? It's when Jesus got down on his knees and got a bowl. And started washing his disciples' feet. Says, this is what I'm doing. You ought to do the same. You that are a minister, you want to be great, serve. Husbands, you want to be great, serve. Serve. In the eyes of Almighty God, guess what you will have? You'll have respect and boldness. By the way, I believe this. You'll have his respect. The Bible says this, if you have seek the praise of men, guess what? You have your reward. But the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So hear me, this is not about physical rewards. This is not about gaining more in this world and more... Uh, Physical things in this world. Listen, this is about Almighty God respecting. In the eyes of Almighty God, you will have His respect and you will have a greater boldness to proclaim the faith of Jesus Christ. Let me try to bring this to a conclusion in an application. I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 6, which is where this all started. Acts chapter 6. I want to read verse 7. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. This is what happened after they dealt well with the problem. Acts chapter 6. The widows were not taken care of. Look at verse 8. And Stephen... 
which if you'll notice, in verse 5, he was one of the seven chosen. Stephen, what does it say? Full of faith and power did what? Great wonders and miracles among the people. The very next person we see in the book of Acts chapter 6, we see a man named Stephen, who was one of the original seven deacons, and what does he do? He stands up in front of a crowd and boldly proclaims Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 7. We see all the way through the rest of Acts chapter 6, Stephen's dealings, and then chapter 7, he starts to preach boldly. I want you to go to Acts 7. And I want you to see what, he, what the Bible says in verse 54. From 1 to 54, he's preaching. The Bible says in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Watch this. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Deacon Stephen. The Bible never calls him specifically the office of a deacon, Stephen. But Deacon Stephen, who was just a little servant of widows, right? Ah, could he ever do? He's just a servant of widows. Wrong. What does he do? The Bible says that they that use the office of a deacon well will purchase to themselves a good degree and boldness to speak the word of God, speak the name of Jesus. Stephen boldly proclaims the word of God and has the respect of Jesus Christ because Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. To my knowledge, this is the only place in Scripture that we see Jesus standing at the sight of God. Most of the time we see him seated. Guys, I don't think I can express this to you enough. Deacon, servant Stephen just gained the respect of Jesus Christ. And he boldly proclaimed you say, it didn't end well for him. That's not the point. This physical world is not the point. It's about him. It's about God. Let me serve you in any possible way I can. I'm going to say something that's going to get me into a lot of trouble. I've said multiple things today that's going to get me in trouble, so I might as well just keep going. I wrote it down so that I wouldn't back out of it. Maybe we're too afraid to share the gospel with people because we are too proud to serve. See, the Bible says that they that use the office of a deacon well, 
purchase to themselves a good degree. And then they are able to speak the word of God, Jesus Christ, the faith that is in him with boldness. Maybe we're spinning our wheels, as it were, in our Christian life. Just can't seem to get to that next step, you know. Perhaps it's because God has been asking you to serve him in some way. and You know it. And you just keep saying, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I mean, pick anything else, God. I'm just not going to do that. Listen, when we serve, we gain the respect of God, and we gain boldness in proclaiming his name. Where are the qualified? Where are the willing? Where are the devoted servants of God? Where are the deacons who will not serve themselves, but will serve the church, the body of Christ, the pillar and ground of the truth. Where are the deacons who will take on the office of the deacon and align with how the word of God describes them to be? Where are the respected? Where are the bold witnesses of Jesus Christ? Where are the servants? Where are the deacons? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, I pray that this church would be a church of servants. Father, there may be some sitting here today that say, well, I don't qualify. But I will serve in any way I can. There will be some here today that say, I I don't qualify now, but I can qualify, and I'm going to take up that torch, and I'm going to run with it. Father, maybe there's one person sitting here today that doesn't even know you as personal Savior. Again, we've all been there. We've all done that. Father, I pray that they would know without a shadow of a doubt today what you've done for them, how you came to serve and give your life a ransom for many. Father, I pray that you would work in this place, that you would call people to serve you. Father, they would not deny it. Father, they would open themselves to an opportunity to gain respect, to purchase to themselves a good degree, and to proclaim the boldness, with boldness, Jesus Christ. Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for everything that's done here today. We pray all these things in your name.